0: Revelation chapter 10. Now, as we have been heading into the tribulation period, we saw in chapter 6 the seals being broken off the scroll that Jesus took out of the hand of the Father. And the seals were being broken, and we got to six of them, which was an outline of the seven-year tribulation period. And then we thought the very next week, chapter 7, we'd see the seventh seal broken, but that didn't happen. Chapter 7 was a parenthesis saying, hold it, go back, rewind. There's a, something back here I need to tell you about. And he told us about 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each tribe. And then we got to chapters 8, and it showed us the seventh seal. And then it talked about the seven trumpets. And boy, whoo, man, we're talking about some wild and crazy horror Type of stuff. These demonic creatures looking like giant locusts the size of horses with stingers like scorpions, and people are stung in incredible pain, but they can't die for five months. And it was pretty radical. And so we got to six of the trumpets, and so now we come to chapter 10, and we would expect to see trumpet number seven, right? No. There's another parenthesis like chapter seven saying, hold it, rewind, go back. There's some information before we go to. Do the seventh trumpet, which is in chapter 11, verse 15. There's something else first you need to know about. And so before we get to trumpet number seven, here in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, And I saw still another mighty angel coming down from heaven, clothed with a cloud. A rainbow was on his head. His face was like the sun, and his feet like pillars of fire. He had a little book over open in his hand. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he cried with a loud voice and as when a lion roars. And when he cried out, seven thunders uttered their voices. And so we have this mighty angel coming on the sea. Now, remember, as we discussed earlier, the word angel is the same word messenger. Now, we have two distinct words. So it'd be Impossible, really, in English to confuse the two. But not so in the Hebrew not so in the Greek. And so you have to sort of look at the context and say, is this a messenger or is this an angel? And so uh, sometimes you see it, for example, in the Old Testament. Uh, there, the burning bush story, remember there? Uh, Moses sees this burning bush and it says, an angel spoke, saying, Moses, Moses. And two verses later, when Moses went over to say, yeah, what's up? God said to him, so it really wasn't an angel of the Lord, it was a messenger of the Lord, and it happened to be the Lord himself. And we see this in a number of places uh, throughout the scriptures. So the question here, is this a mighty angel like Michael or Gabriel, or like we saw earlier in chapter 5, this mighty angel said, who is worthy to unloose a scroll? And nobody was worthy, and then he saw one. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he looked up expecting to see a lion. He saw a lamb as though he had been slain, who took the scroll from the father's hand. In Daniel chapter 12, we see Michael as this mighty angel. In Psalms 103 verse 20, it says, All angels excel in strength. Also, it doesn't plainly say it's Jesus. Um, We see in some instances, we've been going through Revelation. It sort of gives a picturesque view, but then it makes it abundantly clear this is Jesus. But it doesn't do that. It gives you a little bit of wonder. Um, and then we see this guy coming down. He puts a foot on the land and a foot on the sea. We know when Jesus comes again, it's very clear that he lands on the Mount of Olives. But this here is a vision. It's not necessarily in reality this angel is doing this. And then the angel lifts up his hands and he swears by the creator of the heavens and the earth. So that definitely sounds like created being. But yet, sometimes God does speak in third persons, even when he's referring to himself, who is the creator of the heavens and the earth. But yet he could be still referring to himself, but in sort of a third person status. And we know that God swears only by himself, by none other. In Isaiah 45, uh, I have spoken by myself, the words gone out of my mouth in righteousness. And then uh, in Jeremiah 22, 5, if you... I would not obey these words. I swear by myself, declares the Lord. And in Hebrews, he tells us why. In Hebrews 6, he says, God can't swear by any other because there's none higher than himself. So some say it's an angel, others believe this is actually Jesus himself. And one of the reasons they believe it's Jesus himself, like I mentioned, Uh, The fact that it says the angel or the messenger of the Lord in Exodus 3, 2, and Judges 2, 4, and Judges 6, verse 11 and 12, 2 Samuel 24, 16. There is the term angel of the Lord, but when you look at the context, it's clearly God uh, who is the one speaking, not an angel. Even though it's translated angel, it probably would have been better translated messenger. But nevertheless, that's the term. And so... um, the Jehovah Witnesses try to use those same verses saying, See, Jesus is an angel. But when you read Hebrews, it clearly says Jesus is not an angel. He's greater than all the angels. He's the Son of God. But also we see this angel who is clothed with a cloud. This is a constant picture we have through the scriptures of God. Remember God led Israel by a pillar of cloud in Exodus thirteen twenty one. It says, the Lord went out before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so as to go out by day and night. And he did not take away the pillar of cloud. The pillar of cloud representing the the presence of God by day and the pillar of fire by night. Also, uh, a dark cloud came and covered Mount Sinai when the Lord gave the law, and that was the presence of the Lord. Also, the Lord came to Moses that way in Exodus 19.9. The Lord said to Moses, behold, I come to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear and I, when I speak with, with you and believe you forever. And then also Jesus, there in Acts 2, he ascended up in a cloud and the angel said he will descend in a cloud just as he went up. And then we also see there a rainbow was around the head of this angel or this messenger in Revelation 4, 3, it plainly said there was a rainbow around the throne of God. In Ezekiel 1, verse 27, 28, the same thing. Both times the rainbow is around God, not an angel. And then it says his face shone like the sun. In Revelation 1, 16, that was one of the pictures we had earlier of Jesus. His face was like the sun shining in its strength. At the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus Clothes turned whiter than any launder on earth could get white. And then it says, And his face shone like the sun. And then it has a description here of his feet like the pillars of fire. In Revelation one fifteen, it gives a similar description. His feet were like burning bronze, as though they were in a glow, in a fire. And then his voice was like the lion's roar. Every time in the Old Testament, when somebody's voice speaks that like a roaring of a lion, each time it's referred to God speaking. So you have... This messenger, clothed with a cloud, a rainbow around him, his face like the sun, his feet like a fire, his voice like the roaring of a lion. It gives a clear description of Jesus. Does that mean it couldn't be an angel? No, it could be. Because in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it tells us Us humans, it says, and we all with unveiled face beholding in a mirror, not directly, but even in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed, metamorphosis, into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So right now, even though we're not in heaven, even though we're not face to face with Jesus, even now we're being changed into his image And in 1 John 3, 2, he says, hey, when we get to heaven, I don't know what we're going to be like, but I know this, that when we see him, we will be just like him, for we shall see him as he is. So no doubt these angelic beings that are in the face of God are going to start taking on much of the atmosphere, much of the the presence, much of the image of God himself. Remember, Moses talked to God, and when he came down off the mountain, what happened to his face? It was shining like God's face. It was shining in the the radiance of God. So it doesn't rule out completely that this could be an angel, but as I study through it, especially going to the rest of the chapter, I do believe this is Jesus very much present in this visionary way in the middle of this tribulation period. I love the fact that there was a rainbow that was behind him. Remember the rainbow? That was a sign of God's covenant. When the earth was flooded, there was a rainbow. God saying, hey, my covenant is that I'll, I promise you I'll never flood the world again with a flood, an entire world. But more than that, it was saying, I'm going to keep my covenant with you. When you see the rainbow, you can know that my word is sure. So even in the midst of the tribulation period, And the Jews looking at all this craziness, they can look behind and say, God's covenant with us is sure. He said, I will be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants, what? Forever. So even though we're in the middle of this horrendous horror time of the tribulation period, guess what? God's covenant is sure. Even though if the whole world is falling apart and And I I love that. In Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 2, it says, O Lord, I have heard your speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. So even though God is in the middle of pouring out His wrath with no mercy, He's letting them know The rainbow behind. I haven't forgotten about mercy. At the end of this seven-year tribulation period, I will reestablish my covenant with the children of Israel. And what was his promise? They will possess all of the land. The most they've ever possessed was 10% under King David and King Solomon. But in that millennial reign at the end of the tribulation period, his covenant will be established. They will inhabit all of the promised land. As God had given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he will remember his mercy. And there in verse 2, once again of Revelation 10. And he looked and there he had a little book or literally a scroll open in his hand. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. And he cried with a loud voice as when a lion roars and he cried out seven thunders uttered their voices. So. He has this scroll in his hand. Now, remember, the seven seals were ripped off the scroll. So this could be the very scroll that he was talking about. Now, it could be a different scroll. An angel has a different scroll, but I don't think so. This scroll is written, on. remember, on the one side and on the other. That most likely of a mortgage saying this is the possession of the property. And here's the payment to get that to buy that property out of its indebtedness. And I love it because the Lord opens the scroll. In other words, he's bought planet, the title deed of planet Earth back. When man sinned, Satan became the god of this world. Satan became the prince of the power of the air. But he opens the scroll and what does he do? Ha <laughs> ha! Puts one foot on the land and another foot on the sea, saying with authority, the Earth once again is in my possession. I have power and authority and control once again over this planet. And he roars out with a loud voice. In Proverbs 19, 12, it says, The king's wrath is like the roaring of a lion. In Isaiah 31, verse 4, And thus the Lord has spoken to me as a lion roars, as a young lion over his prey. In Jeremiah 25, 30, the Lord will roar from on high and utter His voice from His holy habitation. He will roar mightily against His fold. In Hosea 11:10, they will walk after the Lord, He will roar like a lion. indeed, He will roar and his, and his, and his sons will come trembling from the west. In Joel 3:16. The Lord roars from Zion, utters his voice from Jerusalem. The heavens and the earth tremble, but the Lord is a refuge for his people and a stronghold to the sons of Israel. Amos 1 2. And he said, The Lord roars from Zion, and from Jerusalem he utters his voice, and the shepherd's pasture grounds mourn and submit. The summit of Carmel dries up. And so he roars like a lion. We see the Lord throughout the Old Testament coming with this powerful, majestic, King, the line of the tribe of Judah, roaring out thunderously as the king of the jungle, if you would. One foot on the land, one foot on the sea. Roar, I am the king of this planet. I have taken back the possession once again. How? Through the blood of the lamb, through the lamb that was slain. And then he has seven thunders, seven being the number of completion. For the last time, he's going to thunder it out. The words of truth. Turn, if you would, over to Psalm 29, looking at the Lord's voice as thunder. Psalm 29, right in the middle of your Bible is Psalms. Psalm 29, looking at verses 3 through 9. Psalm 29, verses 3 through 9. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord splinters the cedars of Lebanon. He makes them also skip like a calf, Lebanon and Siron like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord divides the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The voice The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. Here's the one I like. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth. You know, ah, this deer is scared and drops his baby. And strips the forest bare. And in his temple, everyone says, what? Glory. Have you ever been in the middle of a thunderstorm? I mean, you hear it, boom, 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 boom. And then all of a sudden, there's a silence. And all of a sudden, unexpectedly, Boom, boom, I mean, right to the very core of your stomach and the windows rattle. And then you shout, glory. I hope that's what you shout. (laughs) Glory. Woo. There is just an incredible power like you can't imagine. And so here's the Lord, with the open scroll, one foot on the land, one foot on the sea, roaring like a lion, his voice coming forth like seven thunders. That may be a word for some of you here today. Each week it seems like we're coming up and tearfully having to pray with somebody who has a loved one going on Westpac out on the ocean to very dangerous times or going over to Iraq or Afghanistan or a number of other places. And of course they're worried about their family at home and the family's worried about them. Well, guys, no. The Lord is over all. He's got one foot right here at home with the family. He's got another foot with you out at sea. He's got a foot over all the land. and He's got a foot over all the sea. There's nothing that God doesn't encompass. There's nothing that God doesn't have complete power and authority over. And of course, in the tribulation period, they're going to see it more than ever when God finally takes up his right and takes the possession of earth back unto himself and then in verse four now when the seven thunders uttered their voices I was about to write but I heard a voice from heaven saying to me seal up the things which the seven thunders uttered and do not write them whoa this is good stuff did you hear that roar did you hear that thunder man I got to get that written down and as he starts to write no do not write it down Seal it up. It's not something that's to be in the book of Revelation to be known. That can be a little frustrating for us because we want to know, especially when they tell us we can't know. (laughs) Then you really want to know. But you know, it is pretty amazing when you realize how much God has told us. And... We're often thankful that he didn't tell us more. we got a pretty big Bible here. And he's given us all that we need and exactly what we need and not more and not less. And so part of the reason he didn't share it probably is because our little puny minds couldn't handle it. On the other hand, he just has chosen not to reveal it. You know, when you compare the Old Testament speaking of the first coming of Christ, did you know, guys, there's over 300 prophecies concerning the first coming of Christ? It seems like just tons of information. But then when you go to read the Gospels, you realize, whoa. Even though we had all of those prophecies and all that information, man, when you actually read the Gospels, you're really surprised of how many more things that wasn't prophesied that we learn about Jesus. And then when we come to the end of the Gospel of John, what does he say? Guys, we've hardly told you anything. If we tried to tell you everything Jesus said and did, John says all the volumes of the books of the entire world could not contain it. Planet Earth isn't big enough To tell you what Jesus did in just the three years of ministry. Imagine that. Looking at his whole life. I can't wait to get to heaven and watch the videos, you know. Gabriel talking to Mary. But I'm not married. How can I have a baby, you know. Or to see those shepherds and the heavens open and the angels begin to sing. Or to see Jesus as two years old when he's in his terrible twos. He was perfect, but he still was a boy. You know, where's that line crossed when you're just an ornery two-year-old but really didn't sin? Uh, That's a good question. I don't know. But Jesus, every little move, every little gesture of his face, all the little words that he said, man, they were all rich. They were all fruitful. But... If we started writing down, we would never stop. And there's not enough books. There's not enough space on the planet to tell you it all. And so how much more when we're dealing with the tribulation period and the second coming of Christ and heaven? (laughs) Guys, we have just a drop in the bucket of the information of what we're going to see. But I thank the Lord for the information he has given us. But it's for this time that he's let us know what he has known, let us know. And then there's still a lot more yet to be known, but it'll be known in its time. When Daniel wrote his prophecies in Daniel twelve four, he says, but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. What's the time of the end? When men shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. That's now. Men are going to and fro throughout the planet and knowledge has increased uh, drastically in the last century. In Deuteronomy 29, 29, it says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever, for we may do all the words of this law. And so at this time, we'd like to know what was thundered, what was roared. But like Mary, it says in Luke 2, it just says, And she marveled, but then she pondered all of them in her heart. So just ponder all the things God has shared with us in our hearts. I love it when Jesus was washing the apostles' feet and Peter's there stubborn. And when he finally got to Peter, Peter says, No, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus says, Peter, what I am doing you do not understand now. But you will know after this. And so there's that point where God says, You know, if I told you what I roared out, If I told you what I said, you wouldn't get it. You wouldn't understand it. Even if you were sitting there listening to it, seeing me do it, you just wouldn't get it. But there will be a time. It says in 1 Corinthians 13, we see in part, we know in part, but one day we'll know even as we are known. And until that time, in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 6, it says we need to learn not to think beyond what is written. There are some people... who love to speculate on things. Well, here's probably what Jesus said there in Revelation 10. And it's absolute foolishness, and I would even add, it's sin to try to go into such speculation. Well, in verse 5... Now the angel to whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised up his hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heavens and the things that are in it, and the earth and the things that are in it, and the seas and the things that are in it, that there should be delay no longer." So here is this mighty messenger. I believe it's Jesus. He has a scroll that was rolled, unrolled in his hand and now he takes it in one hand and is he, he's standing on the land and on the sea and he lifts his hand towards heaven and he swears, gives an oath that no more delay. All the brakes are off. All the stops are out. Now I'm just going to allow the end of the planet earth as we know it, just to go forward without any more delays. God in his grace has delayed. God has dragged his feet when it comes to judgment. In Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3, it says, Knowing this verse, this is one of the signs of the time, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lust, saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the Father fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. That's one of the complaints. And then people who are believers who become sarcastic and even unbelievers, that's when, oh, you know, that Jesus coming back stuff, you guys have always been saying that. Why hasn't he come back? And he tells us why in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack. He's not lame. He's, he's not, not able to fulfill His promise. But what? He's long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, that should all should come to repentance. God is holding out for that one more person to repent, that one more person He can take to heaven. When you go back to the book of Genesis, before the flood... There was a guy there by the name of Methuselah. And he was born and it was prophetic. His name meant after him comes destruction. In other words, when he died, God was going to flood the world in Noah's flood. And this guy, he kept living. (laughs) He kept living and he kept living until ridiculously he was 969 years old, the oldest man that ever lived. You could imagine, you know, when he's up in his 800s going, okay, this is, this is getting out of hand now, you know. And then he's 900, 950. It's like, oh, boy, his knees don't work like they did back when I was 700. <laughs> and then finally, God said, okay. But we know the heart of the Lord. What does he say in Luke 15? When one sinner repents, what happens? All of heaven rejoices. God doesn't rejoice at the Billy Graham crusades because there's thousands of people getting saved. Okay, this is worthy to have a party in heaven. No, one person. One person coming to heaven. God says it's worth it all. God wants us. God wants us bad. God so desires you to be forgiven and desires you in heaven that he sent his only begotten son. Jesus willingly came and became the servant of all men to the point that he laid down his life, taking all our sins upon himself, was brutalized and tortured and died a hideous death to pay for our sins. Why? Because he does not rejoice in the destruction of the wicked, but he radically rejoices. When people repent and they 're saved, and He can have the joy of being with them in heaven forever and ever and ever, God desires you with a passion we can 't even imagine. God wants you oh He wants you, and so the second of coming of Christ is going to be that way too he 's going to ridiculously drag his feet, <laughs> hoping for one more person to repent, one more person to be saved. Give it one more day. But Lord, if you wait another five years, only one guy's going to be saved. It's worth it. But yet we are in the middle of this having to wait. And it's actually a time for us to be challenged, but also a time for us to grow. Turn, if you would, to James chapter 5. It's right before the book of Revelation. So don't go back very far. If you're in the book of Revelation, turn just a couple of pages to the left It's one of the last books in the New Testament. To James chapter 5. Looking at verse 7 through the first part of verse 11. It says, James chapter 5 verse 7. Therefore be patient, brethren, until what? The coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth. Waiting patiently. For it until it receives the early and the latter rain. You also be patient. Get this. Establish your hearts. Get rooted. Get dug in deep. And be ready and prepared. For the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brethren. Lest you be condemned. Again, the last days. There's going to be given and taken in marriage. In the last days, people are going to be lovers of themselves, lovers of pleasure, lovers of money. Don't you get caught up in the world system of self-seeking and wanting your own. But make sure that you're not condemning one another unless you are condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door right now. He's coming, guys. My brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord as an example for us right now in these last days of their suffering and their patience. Indeed, we count them blessed who endured. We are in a time where we've got to be patient. But guys, the time may come where we have to be patient with suffering. It tells us in 1 Timothy 4 that in the last days, the Spirit expressly, emphatically says that many are going to depart from the faith because they're going to listen to these doctrines of demons. We've got to trench in and stand on the word. I don't know if you've been following it in the news, but there's a, a United Methodist uh, woman pastor who uh, has been a lesbian all along, but now she said, hey, I want to openly want the church to bless the fact that I'm a lesbian and that this woman who's my roommate is not my roommate, but my wife, and this is the way God made me, and I want it to be blessed. And, and uh, kudos to the Methodist church. They had a council and They said, absolutely not. Praise God. But unfortunately, the United Methodist Church, the Episcopal Church, and other denominations as well, there's thousands of homosexual pastors to this day. We are in the last days where there is doctrines of demons calling evil good. When God did not change his mind on it, Homosexuality is and will remain an abomination in the eyes of God, but in the eyes of man and the church in particular. We're not talking about the world. We're talking about in the church, doctrines are going to change, demonically so. And here's a perfect example. And many are going to be persuaded and depart from the faith. They're not going to know they departed from the faith, but they will. In 2 Timothy 3, it says, But know this, know this, know this, that in the last times, perilous times will come. You know, the Bible tells us as Christians that we're to be pilgrims and strangers here. We're not to feel comfortable. That we should be so uncomfortable that we feel alien to this planet. And we're looking for another country whose builder and maker is God. And that uncomfortableness spurs us on to cry out, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But to be honest with you guys, I love our country. <laughs> and I'm very comfortable here. And that's not good. We all got pretty comfortable, cars and houses and jobs. And, and it's a, to our disadvantage at times. But through the rest of the world, Christians aren't so comfortable. Go move to Sudan and see how, country, how comfortable of a Christian you are over there or Afghanistan, or Iran, or a lot of the Asian countries um, throughout you know, Turkey, and Mongolia, and Egypt, and try to go be a Christian in China, or in Thailand, or Taiwan. I'll tell you what, you will feel like an alien there. You'll feel like a stranger upon this planet, because... Their belief system is so weird and so different and so foreign. But the time's going to come for all Christians on all the planet to feel like we're already supposed to be feeling. Lord, my only hope is your coming. Not as we do in America now going, hey, if heaven doesn't come, this is sort of a little piece of heaven on earth already. We shouldn't be feeling that way, but we do. But the time will come that those who wish to live godly in this life will, not maybe, not might, but will be persecuted. The time will come for you to stand on the truth of God's word It will cost you your job. It'll cost you your family. It'll cost your kids being able to be educated. That's the way it is in most of the world to this day and has been for over 100 years. And so, remember, that God's delay is a time of testing for us to see whether we truly will stand or whether we'll stand because it's easy. But will we stand when it's not? Well, in verse 7, he goes on to say, no more delay. And then he says, in the days of the sounding of the seventh angel, the seventh trumpet, it didn't happen yet. It's going to happen in chapter 11, verse 15. But he says, before the sounding of that seventh trumpet, chapter 11, verse 15 happens. When it's about to sound, the mystery of God would be finished as he declared to his servants the prophets. Now, the word mystery here in the Bible is different than the way we use mystery in our everyday language. And sometimes that happens with words. Um, The best translation they can have in the English isn't really a direct correlation. You've got to learn what that word means in its context, in this case, the Bible. For example, the word hope. We use the word hope like, oh, I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow because I plan on going hiking. And so it's sort of a wishful... That's not the way hope is used in the Bible. The word hope in the Bible is a confidence. It's absolutely going to happen, and that's why I have a joy right now. I have a hope, and the Lord's coming again. It's it's not, oh, I hope he comes again. (laughs) I know he's coming, and that's why I can have present joy right now, because I have that hope. The word mystery, the way we use it, it's, you know... um, Sherlock Holmes trying to figure it out, you know, and use the clues and, and try to come to a conclusion. That's not the word mystery here. The word mystery is simply a piece of information. There's no way on this planet we could ever know it. But God, by divine revelation, just had to tell us. And so the gospel itself in Colossians 4, verse 3, is called the mystery that God would come into human flesh and die for us and raise again from the dead to take all our sins away. That's something we never would have figured out. God just had to tell us that and show us that. We also see in Colossians 1 verse 27 that Christ living in believers, that God actually living in us and we being the temple of the Holy Spirit is a mystery. Uh, And in Ephesians 3, the church That the church would be Jews and Gentiles coming together as one body. Now for us, that's old news. But for the Jews, let me tell you something. That was a tough one. Go back and read Acts chapter 10. That was a mystery to Peter and God had to reveal that mystery to him. To let him know. In Romans chapter 11, that there would be a time when the fullness of the Gentiles comes in and then... After that, God's going to focus back on the Jews, which is a tribulation period, and all Israel would be saved. And so as you go through the Bible, you're going to come across this word mystery time and time again. And no, it's a revelation that the Lord has given. We never would have known had He not just declared it. And so now He's saying the final mystery, the final revelation, the final unveiling of, of what God has to tell us we wouldn't be able to figure out is now going to be complete. And so before that seventh trumpet blast, there will be no more new information revealed. It's all going to be known upon the planet. And then in verse 8 and 9, Then the voice which I heard from the heaven spoke to me again, saying, Go take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel who stands on the sea and on the earth. So he went to the angel and said to him, Give me the little book. And he said to me, take and eat it and it will make your stomach bitter, but it will be sweet as honey in your mouth. So here is this mighty angel, I believe it's Jesus, one foot on the land, one foot on the sea, with a scroll in his hand, opened up, and he's sort of dangling there in the wind, and another hand lifted up in the sky, giving an oath, it's no longer going to be a delay, all stops are out, all mysteries going to be finished, revealed, things are being wrapped up, seven thunders, the completion of God's final radical voice and testimony of this planet. And the guy says, go get that scroll. And so John walks over there and says, give me that little book. Boy, that's pretty, pretty tough guy. Man. I mean, I'll tell you what, I would have been shaking, you know, Don Knox, you know, and goes to Mr. Chicken. Ah, you know, but John just goes over there and just says, hey, give me that little book. And willingly, he says, here it is. Eat it up. Guys, understand, that is the way our Lord is. He's got the Bible right now, all the word opened up to you. He'll speak it all into your life. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, he said to his disciples, I've held back nothing from you. Everything the Father has declared to me, I have declared it to you. Jesus in his prayer said, oh Father, everything you spoke to me, everything I spoke to them, holding back nothing. Jesus says, you are my servants, but more than that, you're my friends because I tell you everything. God wants us to know it all. Jesus said it's essential for our survival on this planet. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, man cannot live by bread alone, but by what? Every, every, every what? Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. It's all open, guys. From the first word of the book of Genesis to the last word of the book of Revelation, God has it standing and it's open and all you've got to do is come to Jesus and say, give it to me. Give it to me, man. It says in Proverbs 2 that the wise man seeks for wisdom like a man searching for a buried treasure. If you're wise here today, you will come and say, Lord, give it to me. You know, I love that about the Lord because he doesn't have a chip on his shoulder. He's not upset with anybody. You can be the biggest fool in the world You can be the biggest sinner that's ever existed. But in James 1, it says, if any of you desires wisdom, let him come and ask God without doubting and he will give it to you liberally without any partiality. He won't... You won't say, well, you've been fool, you've been a wise, you've been a good boy, you've been a bad boy. I'll I'll give you a little bit, I'll give you a bunch. No, without partiality, anybody who will come and say, Jesus, give it to me. Without partiality, James 1 says, without partiality, he will just splash it on you. Liberally, just with freedom, just splash like an ocean of wisdom upon you. If you will come. And you know what? The Lord wants to do that every single day. Every single day, the Lord wants to speak into your life. And there's those times where you're going, wow, that'll be great to share in a Bible study. And you know what the Lord sometimes says? Uh Uh-uh. John, don't write it down. I wanted you to hear it, but it's just for you. You know, guys, God has something to speak to you every day. And I'll tell you what, as teachers of the word and and as pastors, I, I often warn those who teach the word in our church, make sure that you're having a devotional time with the Lord outside of the books you're teaching. Because a pastor can dry up, even though he's studying the Bible all week, he can dry up spiritually because he's saying, oh, this will preach good. This will be a good point in my sermon. That'll be a great point in my teaching in my home fellowship. Oh, that'll be a great verse when I share in counseling. You'll dry up. You have to come to that place where you are hearing from God for your own soul. And he says, no, that's for nobody but for you. And to receive that word. And so once we get it, what does he say? Sit down and read it, John. Is that what he says? He says, take it and eat it. Guys, you won't find anywhere in the Bible where it says read the Bible. It doesn't say it. Because it actually will not do you any good. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees? You study the scriptures because in it you think you have life, but it's the very word that speaks of me and you want to kill me. What's the Bible say? If you hide God's word in your brain, you won't sin against him. Is that what it says? No. If you hide God's word in your heart, you get it down. How do you do that? You got to eat it. Remember Joshua chapter 1? Moses says to Joshua, the book of the law, there in verse 8, shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night, that you may observe to do according to all that's written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you'll have a good success. Don't let it depart from your mouth. What's that mean? He tells us the very next thing. Meditate on it. What is that? That's the word of, of how a cow chews up its food it goes down into its stomach and then it regurgitates it and then it chews it up again. And then it goes down in its stomach and it regurgitates it again. And so that cow chews on it and gets, squeezes some of the minerals and the, and the vitamins and the food out of it and it goes down in its stomach but it regurgitates it and it squeezes it more. It chops it up a little more. And you think, man, it's just a big bunch of green looking ooze in its mouth. And it goes down its stomach. But it kicks it back up again. And it keeps squeezing. It. And that's what the word of God is to us. We keep chewing on it. And meditating on it. And it comes back up again. David killed Goliath. And oh yeah that happened. Oh, oh cool. Mm, got some more vitamins out of that. Oh kick it up again. But then oh yeah. I Got some more minerals out of that. And we don't let it depart from our mouth. Blessed are you. Who meditate in God's word day and night. In other words. 24 7. You'll be strong. Your leaf will never wither. You'll bear fruit in your season. And whatever you will do will prosper. Guys, can God motivate us any better? (laughs) First of all, He says you hide God's word in your heart, you won't sin against Him. That, out of the love of our heart towards God, that should be enough motivation right there. But if that's not enough, He says, I'll prosper everything that you touch if you will make God's word a part of your life like you would daily food. Imagine that. God is serious about this and he puts such an incredible blessing with it to help us in our wicked, in our sinful, uh, our weakened state to be in the word, to take the word and to eat it up to meditate on it, to chew it up, to redigest it and to get it down into us. And oh, how sweet it is when we chew it up. All of God's word is sweet. In Psalms 19 verse 10, it says this, more to be desired than gold, oh, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. In Jeremiah 15, 16, your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Guys, when you learn to meditate in God's word, there is nothing sweeter. It's like a big old fat brown bear going over to the beehive. Fum. Raw honey man sitting down on his little bear bottom. Scratching his back on a tree and oh Yeah. When you've learned how to meditate on God's word, not just read it. Satan reads it. Satan quotes the scripture. Satan quoted all kinds of scriptures throughout the Bible. A lot of people are self-deceived because they're hear the words and not doers of the word, and they're, they're self-deceived. I'm not talking about reading the Bible. I can't. How many times I've had people say, "Oh yeah, yeah I've read the Bible. I know what's in that." It means nothing. The question is, have you learned how to meditate on God's word? Tell it's the sweetest of the sweetest of the sweet. But then he also goes on in verse 10 and tells us, And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and I ate it. And it was sweet as honey in my mouth. But just like he told me, when I had eaten it, my stomach became bitter. And he said to me, you must prophesy again about many peoples and nations, tongues, and kings. So he eats the word. Oh, this is great. This is exciting. This is refreshing. This is prosperous. This is a blessing. Oh, it's so wonderful. It's all positive. It's all good. Until it gets to my stomach. Oh, boy, sour stomach. That's, that's tough. But hold it. Before you ate it, John, you were told that's exactly what's going to happen. Guys, I'm here to tell you, God's word is all true. Every bit of it is necessary for your prosperity, for your survival on this planet. But I also got to tell you, the majority of the Bible is negative truth, not positive truth. We all need it. When you get a bottle of medicine, you got an earache. You need some penicillin and you grab up that bottle of penicillin and what's it say? Watch out for this, watch out for that. Be careful about that. Caution, caution, caution. You know, side effects, side effects, side effects. What do you do? Do you still take what's inside it? (laughs) Yeah. It's sweet, man. We're going to heaven. Woo-hoo! But... The Bible talks a lot more about people that won't be going there because they didn't repent, because they didn't receive the Lord. Oh, bitterness. It's sweet the Lord's coming again, but it's sour because the tribulation period and so many people are going to go through such horror. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians 5, and verse 8, he says, we're confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. We're confident, we're pleased, we're going to heaven. This is exciting. But then in in verse 10, he says, for we must all appear before, before the judgment seat of Christ, and each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade men. You see, guys, how do you know if you're just toying around with God? How, how do you know today if you're not just, you know, you got up and you put on your religious hat and you came down to the church and you're just being a religious person and you think, you know, I'm not going to be blackballed by God because I went to church this week and he owes me one and, or all well, the crazy things people think. How do you know that you are in Christ and Christ is in you? How do you really know that you're living the Christian life? Because the word of God is so deep within you. It's so a part of you. It's sweet in the mouth, but it also is bitter in the stomach. And when it's bitter in the stomach, what does he say? Oh, it's bitter in the stomach. And then what does he say in verse 11? Okay, good. Now you're ready. You must prophesy again about many people's nations, tongues, and kings. You must. There's not an option here. You now must go and preach. You now must go and mourn. You must now go and tell them the truth. You see, guys, when God's word is permeating your life, you won't be able to be quiet. Ezekiel had this same exact experience. God comes to him and said, Ezekiel, the people are wicked, the spiritual leaders, the civil leaders. It's absolute disaster. They've all turned away from me and you're going to go out there and tell them that that doom is coming if they don't repent. And Ezekiel, there in Ezekiel 2 is going, oh, no, 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 no. I can't handle this. This is too much. And he said, don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed at their faces. Oh, okay, get over here. Here's a scroll. I want you to eat it up. Ezekiel took the scroll and he ate it up and it was sweet in his mouth. And he says, now go and speak to the people of Israel. And he went. We're all afraid, guys. But when the reality of hell is true in your heart, true in your gut, then you'll tell people, because they're going to hell. Charles Spurgeon said that we should not be able to talk about heaven without laughter. And we should never be able to talk about hell with a dry eye. Guys, as sure as you are here this morning, people one day will be in the lake of fire with nonstop burning and a place of torment and weeping and gnashing of teeth forever and ever and ever, and let it go right to the core of your being. And with the knowledge of that, now you must go and tell. And if you are not telling, it's probably because it's not really in you. Oh, I know about hell. It's in my brain. You know what? You're not one meditating on God's word. You're not one whose God's word is in your life changing because, yeah, there's sweetness. God loves me. He's a God of mercy and grace. Christ came and died for me. But then when you get the whole story, some of it just sort of stays as a sweet taste in your mouth and other parts of it goes right down and boom. But Christ alone is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way under heaven except through him. And my dad, my mom, my coworker, my neighbor, my brother, my sister, they are not following the Lord. They're living in sin. And there's this gross, bitter thing in your stomach. Go and tell, guys. Go and speak it. In 2 Timothy 4, he says, Timothy, it's like I'm standing right now before God and His judgment seat is right behind me. And I am telling you, go preach the word. In season and out of season. Is there any other season? When it's comfortable, when it's not comfortable, when you're sweating and you feel like you're going to throw up, and when you're comfortable with the person you're talking to. When you feel powerful and when you feel completely weak. No matter what this season, get in there and do it. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all this long suffering. You've got to do it now. Because the time's coming. The, the wick on the dynamite, shh. It's burning. The time's coming quickly when men will no longer have the appetite to hear sound doctrine. They'll only have the appetite to run after people that will tickle their ears. So you've got to get in the battle now. Do the work in evangelists now. Endure affliction. Fulfill your ministry. But, but, but it's so hard. That's why it's called work. <laughs> But but, but, but I get rejected and people get upset. That's why it said endure affliction. But but, but it's really not my calling. Uh Uh-uh. It's everybody's calling. Every person that's saved, the Lord said you are, not you'll become, but you are by nature the light of the world. You are by nature a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. Therefore... Do not take your lamp and put it under the bed. Therefore, do not take your lamp and put it under a bushel. You see, it's, it's, it's the flow. It's the next step. It's the natural progression. I was there sitting in my car getting gas last week over at Costco. And I was talking to my dad and listening to music. And in front of me, this guy with his truck and he had a Calvary Chapel dove there. He had that dove on the back of the truck. And... So I got out and, you know, he's standing there looking at the side of his truck. I don't know why people do that when they, you know, look around. You know, looking. I walked up and I said, what's that bird looking thing on your truck? And he goes, uh, oh, yeah, it was there when I bought the truck. It's some kind of religious symbol. I just feel like it's giving me a good omen or something, you know. And I said, what do you think it is? Eh, well, let me tell you. And there was able just to share the Lord with him. But I sat there going, man, I'm just spending time with my dad. He's going to be gone in a couple of days. And I'm sitting there enjoying, listening to some Christmas music. And, you know, I, I had, he was out of season. <laughs> but, oh, I'm so glad I did. I'm so glad I did. Honestly, I, I just found myself getting out of the car and speaking. I, I didn't plan it. I'm no great fire evangelist. I'm not some great... Orator that knows how to, you know, got the five points of how to lead everybody to the Lord no matter who they are. I I don't have any system. I just got to share. And that's the way we should be. That's the way we've got to be. That's why you must speak. The question is, is the word really in you? Well, how are you going to know? You must speak. The word prophesy doesn't always mean a future telling but it also means a forthtelling it's the same word to preach or to to speak you must preach it out aren't you glad that someone endured affliction and talked to you <laughs> aren't you glad somebody did the work of an evangelist and pried into your private world where they had no business and get out and you <laughs> they did it anyway and they shared the lord with you aren't you glad you're going to heaven Because somebody fulfilled their ministry. In Romans 10 it says, how will they know unless somebody tells them? How will they believe unless they hear it? How lovely on the mountains are the feet of those who go to spread the good news. Guys, it's mountainous terrain. It's difficult walking. But how beautiful it is when you see people marching up the mountain, enduring affliction, doing the hard, difficult work, fulfilling their ministry. Soak the word in and preach it out. Say to somebody next to you, preach it out this week, man. Turn around, turn and say to somebody next to you, preach it out this week. (laughs) Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word today. and We do ask in Jesus' name right now, That we would have your word deep, deep as a part assimilated into our body. That we would know the sweetness of meditating on your word. But we would also have the reality of the bitterness of the destruction to come to those who don't repent. How you wept over Jerusalem saying, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. I wish to gather together as a hen gathers your chicks, but you would not. Lord, let us have that same tearful cry in our heart for the lost and dying world around us. Let us be willing to have an uncomfortable neighborhood, but to share with our neighbors. Help us to rattle the cages of hell at our work and to have to go into the Lions' Den every day, but let us preach. Let us speak it out. Let us not desire peace at our family reunion times more than the gospel being preached. We know to live godly is to be persecuted, but often we run away from it. I'll just put this light under the bushel because I don't want to cause any conflict. I'll just hide this light under the bed over here because I don't want to make an unhappy environment at work or in the neighborhood or with the family at Christmas time. Lord, help us. Forgive us, God, for loving our peace more than people going to heaven and escaping the fires of hell. Help us now, Lord, with all heads bowed, eyes nice closed, right now. There may be some of you right now that have come here today because God's calling you to himself and you're realizing that's me. I want to be saved. I want Christ in my life. Right now, just cry out to him. In your heart right now, God, I love you. Forgive me. Come into my life. Be the Lord of my life. Now in your will, submit yourself entirely to him. Lord, you are God. You are Lord. From this point forward, it's your will. It's your wants, your desire. From this point forward, take my life into your hands. I give myself to you. And we thank you, Lord, for it. Thank you for hearing us. Be glorified and let this word continue to meditate in our minds without stop. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Hey, look around you and ask yourself, do I know the name of everybody around me? And if not, get at least one and then say, what's something I can pray for you this week? You know, you may be sitting around five new people and you're waiting for them. They go to this church, but they don't know more than you do. So show yourself friendly, even if it's your first time here. Step out of your comfort zone. Meet somebody new and say, hey, what's your name? And what's one thing I can pray for you throughout this week? Tonight, Leviticus 15, communion and a time of afterglow to seek the Lord. See you back. God bless you all. Bye-bye.